the thoughts arising to ask you if it, when you start to settle in yourself and arrive, I wonder if it, does it feel good? <laughs> I have this sense, isn't it like when we just stop and collect ourselves in this way? There is, sometimes we can actually feel that, that good feeling, that, that sweet feeling that comes from, it's like, ah, oh, oh, finally, <laughs> I'm just settling, I'm just still in myself. Something that's quite lovely about it. I'm sometimes not, you know, depending on what's happening in our mind at the time. But sometimes we can contact that place of stillness and peacefulness within ourselves fairly quickly when we settle in. So I think the reason I thought about it is because sometimes, you know, once we start to settle and then the bell rings, it's like, oh, I'm just getting going, you know? It's like now it's, <laughs> now we have to talk. <laughs> Oftentimes that comes up for people. So I want to give some teachings this morning as a way to you know, begin the day. I mean, the day's already begun, but this early, still somewhat early, as a way to um, support the practice today. We're practicing this mindfulness. Mindfulness. Mindfulness is the, the basis of our practice. We sometimes call it the vehicle, you know, that the vehicle that we get in and we go along the journey with this mindfulness. So we're discovering what it is, as I spoke about in the first night. It's like, what is this? What is mindfulness? Rather than just assuming that we know, we're getting a, a, a hopefully. Uh, becoming interested in what this mindfulness is, because it is the basis of our practice. How can we practice unless we uh, have a sense of what we're actually engaging in? So this mindfulness is gathering, I was saying just earlier, this gathering and collecting our attention, unifying our attention, so that we can be more directed to what's actually happening here, now, in this present moment, in this immediate moment, just now, this moment, right now, what's happening? And is there this, as I was offering these questions of, am I aware, am I here? Is this attention uh, collected? Is it, am, I, am I unified, my mind and my body, am I in the same place? And what's happening? That's really the question for mindfulness. What, because, because mindfulness uh, connects with experience, whatever that experience is, the, the sight or the sound, the smell, the taste, the, the, sensate, the sensations, the, the touch, the feelings that run through the body. And that's the body that Catherine was speaking about last night, knowing this body as the body but then the mind, knowing our mind as a mind, the, the thoughts and the images, the patterns of our thoughts, and consciousness, awareness itself. We can bring our mindfulness to this as a way to begin to investigate, to, to explore more deeply into the nature 
of the phenomena of these of these uh, conditions that arise moment to moment to moment. What is this? What is this? This life. This is our life. Mm-hmm. And to become interested and engaged, awake to our life, to our experience. But the interesting thing is that mindfulness itself is not necessarily very wise. Mindfulness itself isn't something that will naturally bring our wisdom forth. Mindfulness is only a factor of consciousness that tethers or or, um, makes contact with our experience in the present moment. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be any wisdom there. Even though we're present, even though I say I'm here, I may not have you know, much understanding or wisdom about what's actually happening. The classic example of that is the example of a thief going into a house to steal someone's goods. When that thief goes into the house, there's going to be a tremendous amount of mindfulness and a tremendous amount of concentration. The mind will be very focused, very collected, very present, and very uh, oriented towards its goal. But there's not much wisdom there because wisdom says there's going to be consequences to this. If you you follow this out, you can actually be creating a lot of suffering for yourself. It's quite likely that there'll be a lot of suffering, that there already is a lot of suffering to be in that condition. So the mindfulness and the concentration are factors of the consciousness, of awareness, but but what we're interested in and what what the Buddha was interested in is the cultivation of the wisdom that arises through directing our attention in a particular way. Directing our attention towards what we call the Dhamma, the truth, the way things really are, the the truth of this existence, this reality. So we're invested. So when, when, when the Buddha speaks about mindfulness, what's on the Eightfold Noble Path, it's wise mindfulness. Samma, wise. Samma sati. Sati is the mindfulness. Samma is wise. So, so what's intriguing for me is then to ask the question, what makes mindfulness wise? Right? If what if what we're wanting to practice is wise mindfulness, not just being present. And sometimes I think that's one of the places where there can be a little bit of confusion. There's you know, as you know, this mindfulness movement has become very um, strong in our culture. And yet sometimes there can be a sense of mindfulness is about just being present, living in the present moment. And I think unless we really understand a little bit more why do we want to live in the present moment, 
what's the point? Okay, I'm present. (laughs) And it ain't so great, actually. (laughs) Why would I want to be present if my experience is going to be like this? It's just pain, pain in my body, pain in my head. I feel miserable. (laughs) I'm agitated. I'm moody. Why do I want to be present with that? No. So I think there needs to be a little bit more understanding. Like, well, okay, this is there's something about wisdom. This wise, becoming more wise. So this has to do. So the Buddha says to turn the mind towards the Dharma, towards the truth. What's true? What's true about this experience, this existence, this reality? And then the Buddha says, as you do that, you can begin to understand what are the causes and conditions that give rise to this suffering? What is giving rise to this pain, painful condition? And when that's seen, then we can begin to understand how to come out of it. How to turn our mind, actually. I like that phrase a lot, turning the mind. Turning the mind towards that which is beneficial, that which is wise, that which is kind, that which is helpful. That which is in the service of liberation. So wise mindfulness is when we are practicing present moment attention awareness in the service of freeing our mind, becoming more free from those patterns, from those conditions that give rise to our pain. So it's really wonderful. I think this is where I get really quite inspired by the practice, by the teachings, is that it's really possible. It's really possible to see in a given moment, and I, everybody here has had this experience, where you see in a moment where the mind just free, is free. You're not as caught in those patterns of mind, stories, memories, fantasies, mind states and moods that are that are that have been so gripping so um strong in the mind and then we see there is a way out i don't have to just keep following that thought i don't have to f- keep engaging in that particular storyline but perhaps there i can feel in one moment how i can return back to the simplicity of one breath, or feeling my feet on the earth, feel the wind on my face, hear the sound of the birds. And people have said yesterday, you know, um, I'm I'm so lost in my thoughts, I'm not hearing any birds. (laughs) Birds? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right, there are birds out there. You know, but yet there is a moment 
where we do experience that kind of breaking, breakthrough, sometimes we call it a breakthrough, breaking through the strong patterns of our mind, and then all of a sudden we're here, really arriving here in a more fullness, as Catherine was speaking about, the full awareness, the full awareness of what's actually here for us. And as we do that, as we arrive, we're calling it coming home even, you know, as we arrive, then it's possible to see more clearly. And if, if there is the interest and the curiosity and we have some understanding, we have some knowledge about the path, call it path knowledge, we have some understanding of the teachings of the Dharma, then we can start to, in the moment of being present, being aware, we, can, we, we see that we actually have a choice that we don't have to just keep being pulled around by the mind, the thinking mind, in every direction it wants to go. My teacher Utejaniya said that the mind is like a dog. It wants to sniff in everything. It just wants to get into everything. And our job is to hold on to the leash so it doesn't just go everywhere. Put it on a leash (laughs) and then pull it back. Pull it back. Bring it back because it will will go anywhere. It has no pride. (laughs) (laughs) We know this. (laughs) And we know that it will get us into trouble if we go anywhere that the mind wants us to go. And yet, how fortunate it is that there is a way to actually hook it onto a leash, so to speak, and bring the mind back home. And what does that? What's holding on to the leash? Because it isn't the mind, the thinking mind, the pattern, the conditioned mind, because that's just kind of going all over the place. But there is that which holds on to the leash, which we will call, I would like to call, wisdom. Or the, uh, uh, another word I'm liking a lot these days is <clears throat> dharma mind, dharma mind. Dhamma mind in Pali. The mind that knows the Dharma, the truth, or the mind that sees the Dharma. There's this one beginning of this one uh, discourse that the Buddha taught where he asks this question. What's the, he says there, there is, he said, what's the difference between an ordinary, unenlightened, being and a noble, enlightened being. What's the difference? He says they both experience these six experiences, body and mind, the five senses and mental activity or the mind. 
The experience is exactly the same in terms of phenomena, conditions arising and passing. Sights, sounds, tastes, smells, touch, thoughts, images. What's the difference? And I, I love that question as a pondering, you know, something to ponder in myself when reflecting on my own mind. What's the difference if the actual conditions are the same, body and mind? Mm-hmm. And so he goes on to have this, this, lovely, this lovely story about... Um, how um, if an ordinary, unenlightened being is, is struck by an arrow, there will be pain in the body from the arrow, but there will also be pain in the mind because there will be the wailing and the complaining and the, uh, uh, the agitation and this shouldn't happen to me and all the... Uh, anger and hurt and ah and sorrow and all that. So the mind is hurt. He calls it the second arrow. He says where an enlightened noble being, disciple, will only feel the pain of one arrow, not the pain of the mind. The mind will see things as they are, that bodies get hurt. (laughs) There is pain in the body. But it's the pain in the mind. It's what we do with it. It's our relationship to the conditions that are arising that are the problem. And that's something that we can actually do something about. We can't do anything about what happens to the body. The body is nature. It's just nature, as Catherine was talking about last night. And the body is very, very vulnerable, very, very vulnerable to this worldly condition, to birth, aging, sickness, and death. And we don't know at any moment, what's going to happen to this body. And all kinds of things happen to the body. But we can't do anything about that except to take good care, to be very compassionate, to be very kind, very loving towards our body when these conditions arise. But we can do something about the mind. So this is Dhamma mind. Or the wise mind. Cultivating, and this is what we can do here, is we can, we're cultivating the wisdom through the vehicle of mindfulness and concentration. and energy, investigation. Early on, one of my teachers would remind me again and again, these are wisdom teachings. These are wisdom teachings because I would get so attached to my experiences, my meditative experiences, and want my meditations to be a particular way. 
wanted my mind to be quiet, wanted to be peaceful, wanted my heart to be full of compassion. You know, I mean, of course we want that. But if I am attached to that, if I am wailing against, railing against that, the fact that I'm not like that, judging myself, giving myself a hard time, comparing, expecting, demanding, manipulating, and I'm not seeing that, then I'm just caught in the same old patterns again and again and again, and I'm not really freeing my my mind, freeing my heart. So again, this looking at what's really going on here, we're wanting, where's the wisdom? Where's the wisdom in the practice? How am I relating to what's happening? How am I being with my experience? Experience is arising. We call objects of awareness or phenomena is arising. Awareness and objects of awareness arising together. Nature, that's nature. And then there's my whole, we call overlay, what I am bringing to that. How am I being with that? That's the speaking yesterday about the attitude. Um, Is there the grasping in the mind, the wanting, (laughs) expecting, demanding? Is there rejecting, aversion, sometimes hate, anger in the mind? Or is there this tendency sometimes just to check out, don't even want to deal, don't want to be here? Which is okay sometimes, you know. Fortunately, we can do that sometimes because sometimes it's just way too much, right? Especially as we start to open more to our experience, we see a lot comes in. Through the mind door, through the emotional body, through the the senses, the feeling we become, we start to realize what sensitive beings we are. We're so sensitive. (laughs) When we are really truthful with ourselves and we really take a look at what's here, it's, wow, I'm really sensitive. And sometimes we can be judged for that. Other people say, boy, you're so sensitive. you know. Or we can judge ourselves and think something's wrong. You know, I should be tougher. <laughs> I should have more metal. You know? But the truth of our experience is that we are very sensitive, fragile, vulnerable beings. And how do we take care? How do we, we, how do we be with ourselves in a kind and wise and compassionate, loving way? And as we do that, as we understand that that actually is bringing more, um, more ease, more, um, more comfort in a way, 
even a little bit more sense of confidence and security that we can take care of ourselves, that then we, we're, we're, we're developing the wisdom. We're developing the compassion and growing in that way. So that we have more capacity to deal with what arises. Because this is a very challenging world that we live in. Very, very, very challenging. This is the cultivation, this, this cultivation of wisdom that we are uh, interested in here. One of the things that wisdom, dhamma wisdom, dhamma mind, awakens to as we begin to look at our experience, investigate more fully into our experience, is what's called the, the three characteristics of this existence. The Buddha said there are three, three uh, uh, objective characteristics, the way things are. That one is that of the truth of impermanence, Catherine was speaking about last night, that everything is changing, coming and going. There is birth and there is death. Everything is born in a moment and passes away. It's birth and death in every moment of recognition. But nothing remains, nothing stays, nothing static. And as we look deeply into our experience, we can see that really clearly here. Just when we look at it, breath, breath coming and going, sensations coming and going, thoughts coming and going, sounds, birds, flowers, weather, people, food, digestion, moods, mind states, everything's constantly changing. And as we recognize that more and more, we can see that if we hold on, the second characteristic is that if we hold on, we will suffer. One person called it uh, rope burn. We're going to get rope burn if we're holding on to experience being a particular way. It is going to burn, and it does burn. It's dukkha. Very unsatisfactory, the second characteristic of this existence. So we see deeply into this cause and condition of our suffering is the holding on. Dukkha. And the third characteristic is that it actually isn't so personal. This, this characteristic of selflessness or anatta, that we take this all so personally, and actually it is all dhamma, it is all nature, it is all dharma arising, conditions arising due to causes. Everything is cause and effect, cause and effect. And yet the sense of me the sense of it's all about me is so conditioned, so strong, that we think it's all about me and you. (laughs) It's either about me or it's about you, right? (laughs) It's either my fault or it's your fault. 
somebody's fault that we got into this. This idea of self and other. Self and other. And this is part of the ordinary or the conventional mind, the conventional view, that we see uh, the world in this duality of self and other. Self and other. And it's okay, it's okay to see the world in that way because there's truth in that. There is a sense of self and a sense of other. But the difficulty is that we stop there. Sometimes we stop there and we don't see that maybe there's more to the picture. Maybe that in itself may be a somewhat limited view. Not that it's not true, but maybe the truth is bigger than that. Maybe the way that I perceive myself is more than the way that I think about myself. Maybe the way that I perceive you or think about you is actually more than my mind conceives. So we start to bring in more of the Dhamma. So it's not so personal. It's not just about my happiness or what I get or what I want. Because then it's always about what the other is going to give me or not give me. What I'm going to get or not get from out there. But maybe there's, we can begin as we look at this, uh, the, the impermanent nature, the causes of what gives rise to our dukkha, to our suffering, we start to get a sense that maybe there's more than then just this sense of me and you and my conventional view of things. Something starts to relax or release or open. There's more and more possibility for us. Albert Einstein, this great genius, said that this conventional way of viewing of self and other is an optical delusion of consciousness. I like that. I thought at first it was optical illusion of consciousness, which would also be correct, but I like that he put this other little spin on it, this optical delusion of consciousness. He said it's a kind of prison for us because it restricts us to our own personal desires and affection for a few people near us. Very limiting, this view. And so this is the Dhamma, the Dhamma mind, where we start to look more deeply into the way that we have things constructed, this construct. The mind, our thinking mind, is very good at constructing ideas, constructing views and opinions, and getting quite attached (laughs) to our views and opinions about things. So we're challenging this particularly our view and opinion about ourself and others, we're looking at the truth. We're looking at the truth of our, of our own experience, the truth of how we construct our world, our ideas, our views, our beliefs, 
about ourselves, about others, about the world. I mean, so it's a radical teaching. And we're doing this so that we can come to more freedom. Our, our internal experience of freedom, but it is not just about me. When my mind becomes more free, then I am more, more likely to show up in a way in this world with more wisdom and more compassion, more love, because I see things as they are. I'm not so bound up in my own selfish preoccupation. So the great Japanese Zen master from 13th century, Dogen, said, yes, we study the self. He says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. Self-understanding, coming into self-understanding. But he said, we study the self to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened with all things to be awakened with all things, which means to become intimate with all things. Awakened to all things means there's no more separation. We don't don't experience that separation or that gap in the same way between me and that object or that experience or that person. That gap starts to dissolve and there's more sense of this present immediate now as it is and in that so much then of the react the reactivity of mind begins to dissolve because reactivity is about me what i want what I expect, what I need. And need, I mean, we all have needs, but need from an attachment, expectation, entitlement. We're looking at where the contraction is in the mind, where there's the wrong view, where we're not seeing things so clearly or accurately. This is the wisdom Seeing with Dhamma mind, with knowing the Dhamma, seeing the Dhamma, the way things are, the law of things. Wisdom is free of these deluded forces of mind. And so at any moment, wisdom can come through. It's not that we have to arrive somewhere that at some point we're going to be wise beings. <laughs> I had that idea. You know, someday I'll be wise. <laughs> someday I'll be a wise and compassionate person. You know, it was always kind of out there. And then I saw that actually wisdom can arise at any moment. When I'm just seeing like, oh yeah, I'm really caught in this story right now, and if I keep thinking about this and it's making me angry... So I'm just going to be more angry. Maybe I can just turn the mind back towards my breath or my body and let go of that right now. Maybe. 
And then in the intention of doing that, arriving more here. Like, oh yeah, I'm not so angry anymore. It's a moment of wisdom. A moment of compassion, really. Tremendous compassion when we let go. Particularly of these painful and harmful states of mind. So this is our practice. We're shedding our delusions coming more into alignment with the Dhamma, coming into alignment with the way things are, this unifying, gathering, collecting ourselves here into the present moment with insight. So, what I would like to what I'd like to do is open this up, open the conversation right now and this morning, um, and just hear if there are any responses or anything or any questions that are arising about what I've talked about or what Catherine's talked about. You know, from your own experience, um, how this might touch you, maybe maybe there's a way that you resonate with this and you might want to say something about that or something you're seeing in your own experience. Um, or if there's any kind of, any, any confusion arising about your practice. Let's see if there's anything here in the room now. I'd like to take this time in the morning to see, um, take advantage of this time. Yes, please. Um, so it's in terms of relating to pain during practice, it's sort of, I mean, the first style I sort of take as, a, take as a given, but that's something to live with. Um, but sort of sometimes feels there's more than that, and sometimes I see that go, and I'm wondering if that's tension around it, which is part of the aversion, which I could focus on and work to release, or if that's, if working to release it is a goal, expectation thing that I should just observe and just leave it there yeah. and not deal with or it's a good, try too hard or it's a really good question you know it's a really question around the pain you know really realizing that pain is kind of a given it's going to be there and yet there's times where when you're with the pain you can actually see there's some release and it, kind of the question around is there a way of working with that sometimes you can see that you're putting maybe too much effort into it and uh, it actually is increasing a little bit more disturbance in the mind. Sometimes there's also a way of just being with it, maybe less resistance, there's an opening, a softening. How to, how to work with that? I think that it's a, um, in working with pain, it's helped me so much to understand that there's a difference between the pain in the body and the pain in the mind. And so when there's pain in the body, the first thing I want to look at is what I'm doing in my mind. How am I being with, with this pain? What's my relationship to the pain? So I really want to look to see, is there aversion? Is there anger? Is there resistance? Because that's in the mind. That's not in the body. So I so the first thing I want to do is see if I can soften the resistance by by relaxing my mind, seeing if I can breathe a little bit more deeply, um, 
start to have a little different relationship, maybe more acceptance to the fact that this pain is here in my body. And then I can begin to direct the, 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 the breath or my attention into the sensations of pain with a softening, with an intention to soften, with an intention to relax. So the more, because that's the wisdom there, the wisdom is that it is possible to, to soften around those sensations of pain, at least through the mind, and then you see if you can. You see what will really release or what will relax in the body. Sometimes these knots or these tensions are so deep, not much is going to change it at all, but at least we can come into a more compassionate relationship with ourselves in our mind and keep softening and relaxing because what can happen is that when we're not, we don't have that awareness or that understanding, we're, we're often just coming in with, I don't want this, and I need to change it, and what do I need to do, and how can I get over it, and I don't like it, and I don't want... So that's just all, that's probably just increasing a lot more pain in the body, too. That is a lot of what our tension is, and our contraction is, is what's happening in our mind gives rise to the body, too. Not always. There's not always this direct correlation. But a lot of it. So, so we can re- that's a wonderful way to, to begin to approach the, 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 diff, the um, dukkha in the body is to really see what's my relationship to this. And then what's the wisest and kindest way that I can be with the conditions of my body now? So really approaching it with that kindness. Is that, I don't know if that's... Is that, does that get to what you're... Um, yeah, it sort of describes why it is the try thing. I'm um, sure that's a good approach on that side. It explains what? That... Uh, it, it sort of describes one of the approaches I've tried, but yeah. I'm sure that's a good approach on that side. Right. Okay, yeah, the approaches. more confidence that. Yes, good, good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so much about the way, it's the compassion, you know, this, the, the development of a compassionate way of being. And I think Catherine, you know, was, was just so um, brilliant last night, just really talking about the relationship with our body and what, what's really needed in terms of supporting ourselves and caring for ourselves. It's a difficult condition, this body. It's very difficult. Challenging. As the mind is. <laughs> yes, please. Um, I, I'm finding that uh, I, I, can, I can be mindful of the body and slow down and experience what's there, but as soon as I look at my mind, everything speeds up and goes into analysis and finding very yeah. hard to hold the space to understand that. And yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So the question really is noticing that uh, when you're with your body, your body, you're able to stay m- more present, but then when you examine your mind, it speeds up. Yeah, how to slow down. Yeah. When, how to kind of hold that learning when examining the mind is the question. Of- Going into analysis and, yeah. Um, I would suggest that when you see that happening, when you're bringing your awareness to your thinking, to the patterns, and you notice there's a speeding up and, and you're going into more thought, um, I would, if you can, I would then 
see if you can direct your attention more fully into your body. Like, just leave the mind. Because there's not enough wisdom and awareness there to be able to investigate at that moment. There might be later, when you're more stabilized, when your awareness is more stabilized. But in that moment, there's not enough awareness. Uh, strengthen the awareness. So, so in order to support that, then to anchor, kind of anchor your attention back down through the body, feet, breath, sensations, and that will likely give you more space, especially since that feels more. You have more confidence there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Thank you. You don't want to separate the mind and the body. My mind is not up here, my brain is up here. Right. My eyes are here. Good. Then don't separate. Yeah. Where is the mind? I would say with that question. <laughs> don't separate the mind and the body. We're just do we're we're doing that for uh, purposes of investigation. It's also true. I mean, we have a body. You know, there's a body. The body is made of these four elements. It's the elemental, earth, air, water, fire. And we can feel the sensations of those. So it's, it's a kind of way to discern our experience. We know that there are thoughts, and we're trying to recognize these thoughts, the thinking, the, the patterns, of, you know, the images. So we're just part of the discernment of our experience. And then there's a point where that discernment isn't actually so useful. It can feel more separating. So if you're feeling like that, that isn't resonating, like you don't want to go there right now, where is the mind? My mind isn't here. You know, my, it's not my body is here and my mind is here. Where is the tree? Go with that. Go with that. As, and, and, and as long as you have some sense of you know, something... Right? There's something. Don't know what it is, but there's something. So you wanna you wanna just stay in contact with your present experience, because otherwise it, you can, it can go a little bit too wide and too amorphous, and you know, like you're not really making contact, <laughs> and you can kind of get lost in that. So so keep making contact some grounding of your experience, and then keep asking the question, exploring that, that sense that there really doesn't feel like there's any separation. You don't want to separate. Good. Yeah. Go with that. Trust that. Trust. Have confidence in the way that your practice is unfolding right now. Thank you. Yes. And then I'll come to you. Um, yeah, talking of mindfulness, I found myself reacting quite strongly. Um, actually, I suppose against when you were talking about um, wisdom and mindfulness. Yes. And um, for the thief, and you're saying the thief would be very mind- mindful. And I, I have a sense that the thief would only be 
very focused with their attention on this aspect of the task. It wouldn't really be you mindful. In my experience, um, mindfulness is more um, um, integrated with wisdom. As I begin to notice things mindfully um, about my experience I hadn't noticed before, some kind of wisdom seems to come out of that inherently. So I don't really have a sense of any such thing as um, a sort of non-wise mindfulness. It's mm -hmm. sort of the same thing in a way, but to degrees, you know? So the more I experience things about myself, mindfully, what's going on, I feel that it's the same thing as wisdom, or wisdom yeah. comes out of that. It sounds like what you're saying is that you really are experiencing the arising of wisdom through the mindfulness. You're really directly knowing that. That wisdom is developing, is cultivating, being cultivated through the mindfulness, through the attention. So from your experience, you're not having many experiences of unwise mindfulness. Yeah, it doesn't seem to make any sense. Yeah. I understand. I understand what you're saying. And according to Buddhist psychology, anyhow, mindfulness is simply a mental factor. That's all it is. It doesn't necessarily, inherently, it doesn't have any wisdom in it. But yet it is the actual factor that gives rise to wisdom. It's what allows the wisdom to develop. Without, without mindfulness, without awareness, there is no possibility for wisdom to arise. So, so in, that, in that way, of, you know, in, that lo in that teaching logos, that's how it's talked about. And yet, what's important is for you to look at your own experience, you know, really to look at your own experience and see that how the, you know, you see the wisdom really comes through that portal of awareness. And that's really important for you to notice and for you to recognize. And my sense is that that will give you a great deal of confidence and faith and energy in your practice to keep going. Because if you know the portal, if you know the way in, my sense is you're going to keep walking. <laughs> well, that's what I have found so incredibly inspiring. Yes. The fact that it seems that simply by noticing things in my experience, that just somehow automatically opens things up. And it does. That's the thing I find so magical, the most magical thing about it. It does. And um, I only say I wish it were true for everybody. <laughs> I, I wish it were true. I wish that that wisdom would arise in everybody's mind and heart. <laughs> Thank you. My question is about working with the instructions. Mm -hmm. uh, are you aware? What are you aware of? And then the third question, which I haven't been working with yet, I've just been doing the first two. And I find the first question, are you aware? Really useful in pulling you back into the present moment. Good. Because the answer is usually no. Nope. <laughs> again. I'm not aware, but now I am, and I suddenly feel my feet or hear the birds. Great. But when I go to the second question, I feel that it pulls me 
out of the present moment and back a moment or two in time. Mm -hmm. Because when I ask, what am I aware of? I think, well, I'm aware that I haven't been aware. I'm aware of my feet. But that's probably not the right answer. Mm -hmm. I'm probably supposed to be answering what I was aware mm -hmm. of when mm -hmm. I first answered asking yeah. the question. Yeah. So that, well, then I was aware of thinking about my train tickets. Right. <laughs> so that's good. There's a, some problem with yeah. the way I'm using those two questions. Great. I'm so, that's such a, a great, great um, comment about the first question's great, pulls her back, am I aware? really get a sense present present moment then bringing up the second question what am I aware of she's feeling the gap feeling the lag which is really interesting to see because you can see that as soon as you're you've all you can see that that question is no longer in reference to the moment when you were actually aware so what is it referring to in that moment there's a gap the mind is always behind the thinking mind. The thinking mind is, as soon as we have a concept or a thought about something, it's already past. It's, right? That's what you're seeing, is that your thinking mind cannot keep up with your awareness. Conscious awareness is so much bigger than this small little conceptual mind can ever even make up anything about. And so you're, you're seeing so many things that have already happened in a mind moment, in a couple of mind moments. So like, what are you actually going to, how are you going to respond to that question? I would become interested in that. <laughs> Forget about the literal nature of that question. You're seeing something there. You're having some insight into your experience in your mind. And you're going... I can't catch up. <laughs> so I would be interested in that. <laughs> she said, I'm, I'm not doing it wrong. <laughs> Actually, these are trick questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's lovely when we, we... I know that thought of, I must be doing something wrong, right? <laughs> It's not working for me. <laughs> so it must be something I'm doing, right? It's usually the place we go. But no, it's great. It's like, yeah, something's being revealed to you there. And it's pretty clear for you. Where is your thinking mind, your conceptual mind, going to land? <laughs> On what moment? <laughs> Do you know how many mind moments there are? Catherine, do you know that? From the Abhidharma. I mean, that what, kind of what they say in like a minute? And well, even in one second, it's supposed to be thousands of mind moments. In one second, it's in the... In the I don't know how many, but lots. <laughs> <laughs> in I Buddha, haven't seen them all yet. <laughs> in, in Buddhist psychology, like in the, even in, in one m moment, it's like there's, in, there's lots of mind moments, thousands, whoever, you know, of mind moments that have already occurred that are outside of time. Um, the, the, the thinking mind, the conceptual mind is in time. It's in space and time in this relative world. It's the only thing it knows. It's describing this relative conventional world, but there's something so much more uh, that this mind cannot, thinking mind cannot even go to. 
So therefore, we are accessing what we would call a whole different knowledge base, a wisdom base that is, cannot necessarily come through the thinking mind. And yet, that's what we're so dependent on. Uh, we've developed this intellect, this intellect that is very brilliant. However, in the service of that development, we have cut off from a whole nother base of wisdom knowledge. And so these teachings open us up to, it's a portal, I like that word, it's a portal, it's an opening to a whole nother base of wisdom knowledge that we have access to. And the meditation is our, our support for that. So that's good. So follow that, follow that. <laughs> good. Maybe one more, yes. Reconciling the idea of not being attached to things with the idea of having close relationships with other people. Like how to be attached and kind of not attached to at the same time. So it's about, uh, your question is about attachment to people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the question is about how not to be attached, yet to be close and intimate and not attached? That's a big question. (laughs) A very big question. (laughs) Um, What, where we want to begin with that, uh, rather than going to the, you know, to that question, because that's something that we have to kind of walk into, open into. It's part of our awakening. Is how to continue to be intimate with anything. Anything, uh, people, situations, possessions, anything, and not be attached, right? So the whole question is around attachment, which is the same attachment. It doesn't matter what we're attached to. It's exactly the same experience of attachment. So what, we, what, what I would suggest is to start with something small. <laughs> Just today, as you're going through your practice today, Notice if you can recognize ways you're getting attached to things or experiences or things that happen here. Like, and that attachment arises through, it's a, it's, a, it's a way that we start to grip. We have to, in order to hold on to something, we have to grip our fist. If I let go... It drops. If I open my hand, it drops. So, so we're trying to get a sense, and, and it's very energetic, what that contraction feels like in the mind and the body, and what it feels like when I relax. And so yesterday I was talking a lot about relaxation as a support in the practice. And so recognizing ways that you feel the tightness through the mind. It can be a mental contraction. That's what we were talking about when you found your mind was going like this, and it's just let go. Finding ways to... The breath is a wonderful support. Feet on the ground is a wonderful support. 
knowing where my arms are, how my chest is, smoothing out the muscles around my eyes, relaxing my jaw. I want to pull on my ears. (laughs) That's going to be your answer. Because it's the same attachment, whatever it is. It's relaxing that grip, which usually has to do with some kind of idea about what I think that thing or person is going to give me to make me happy. And there's some sense that I will not be happy and cannot be happy until I have that thing. So I'm denying my innate happiness, nature of my being. So start there. One more. Then I'll have to... uh, I have Chris is putting his hand up and I'll have to go. Beautiful. Yeah, the faith. Mm, The faith to let go. Mm, The faith to surrender. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so bringing in that quality. There's a a kind of... um, It's an underlying trust that you will be okay, that things will be okay if you let go. Yes. Yes. Attachment has to do with um, it's a it's a self-possessed mm-hmm. concept. It's about me and what I'm going to get for me and my happiness. <laughs> Is usually is sometimes not so much sensitivity about the other. So um, we'll need to end now. Um. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.